Welcome back to Spiritual Directors Talking About Stuff. Today, Chris and I are talking with Victoria Lors, who is an author and an eco-spiritual director. Um, and uh, Chris, you actually know Victoria. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met her and how uh, we got her here today? Yeah, um, Victoria, like many of connections that we make these days, is, is an online connection. Mm-hmm. I know I wish we had have had the opportunity to meet in person, but not yet. I'm hopeful that we can in the future. But um, so I was, I was feeling this longing, like I needed to be able to find a way to bring um, nature into my spiritual direction sessions. And so I just did some basic Google searches for like, I don't know, spiritual direction outside or spiritual direction in nature. And I came up with this program. Um, I think it's like a year long eco spiritual direction training program. And got really excited. And so I started doing some more Google <laughs> searching for who does this kind of spiritual direction. And then I found Victoria. And so I reached out to her. We had a, a Zoom conversation and I learned about eco-spiritual direction. And then I later learned back to the program that I found that teaches spiritual direction, that she's actually one of the teachers. And I didn't put that too, too into <laughs> later, but, um, and then she had a book came out, which I read and, and it was wonderful. Uh, about Church of the Wild. So that's how I know Victoria. That's awesome. Um, Well, I'm so glad that you invited her to be on the podcast. We really had a really great conversation. What would you say is something that you're going to carry through from our conversation today? I think I I really love how she talks about God being kind of this, this conversation between um, all things and the, the logos being being this conversation which kind of connects all things and and also how you know we see read, read stories in the bible about people being called into the wilderness and that being like where god speaks to people that's where you can really hear god and and i and i agree there's so many layers of noise in our lives that really um you know the, the wilderness is where god is most clearly heard it's so funny to me because uh, every time that I, uh, you know, take the spiritual pathways assessment, um, which is a podcast episode we did earlier, but I try to do that every, you know, in every season of my life. And the the naturalist, the person that that connects with God through nature, is always near the very like very bottom of my list. And so I've never thought of myself as a nature person. And um, yet I love spending time in a labyrinth. That's one of my personal um, spiritual practices. And the one I go to is outside and it never has occurred to me that the, uh, that I'm in nature, it's more of a, well, this is yeah. really a contemplative thing that I'm doing. You know, I'm connecting to God with my mind and experiencing, you know, and, and walking the labyrinth that's connecting with my body and whatever. Um, so it's just really interesting to me that I was, I kind of went in, into this going, I am not a nature person, but the mm-hmm. idea behind it, you don't necessarily have to be in nature as much as it is about awareness of uh, what is calling to you in the space that you are, whether you're inside or outside for me, like, I just think that is just really, really special. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Labyrinths are are really great. um, And especially those that are out in beautiful nature. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The sacred pathways episode was the first season episode seven, by the way, if you want to go back and listen to it. Well, thanks for, listening again, and we hope you enjoy this conversation with Victoria Lourdes.
Today we have with us Victoria Lors. Victoria is a Wild Church pastor, an eco-spiritual director, and co-founder of several transformation-focused organizations focused on the integration of nature and spirituality. She feels most alive when collaborating with Mystery, with capital M, and Kindred Spirits to create opportunities for people to remember themselves back into intimate, sacred relationship with the rest of the living world. After 20 years as a pastor of indoor churches, she launched the first Church of the Wild in Ojai, California, and began to meet others with the same sense of call to leave the building and expand the beloved community beyond our own species. She then co-founded the Ecumenical Wild Church Network. Victoria is a co-founder and director of Seminary of the Wild, which is focused on a deep dive year-long eco-ministry certificate program for all those who feel called by earth and spirit to quote, restore the great conversation. That quote is from Thomas Berry. Victoria also has a book out, which we'll talk about some today also, called Church of the Wild, How Nature Invites Us Into the Sacred, which I read last fall and was really great. And it really inspired me to do all kinds of new great things. So welcome. Thank you for being with us, Victoria. Yay. Thank you. I'm excited to be with spiritual directors talking about stuff. (laughs) We'll talk about some stuff today. Um, we like to start out with our guests to hear a little bit about your faith journey and background um, and kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, that, that story can take any amount of time, so right. I'll tell you a, as abbreviated <laughs> as possible. Um, I grew up sort of a, uh, what I call an Easter and Christmas uh, <laughs> uh, cultural Christian. Mm-hmm. I was a Christian because I wasn't not. Um and in my 20s, I had a significant experience with the reality, like, oh, my gosh, this is real. Jesus is real. God is real. Like, uh, it was, it was, it was um, life-changing, actually. And, but it was in the evangelical world. And um, within a few years, I went to seminary because uh, I just felt that deepening longing for deeper connection. And at the time, the only thing you do is become a pastor, because what else would you do? <laughs> True. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I love, by the way, how that's shifting. Um, but yeah, so then I was a pastor in several different non-denominational kind of uh, organ- um, churches, indoor churches, I call them now. <laughs> and. Uh, um, and my focus was always on creating opportunities for people to interact with, to meet, to deepen relationship with the sacred directly. So things like centering prayer and those labyrinths. Remember mm-hmm. those cool labyrinths we did in the uh, 90s? Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, retreats. So those, hi kitty, um, those, those kinds of things were always what I was longing for. Um, and... I found after several years that we would do, I would do these really cool creative things and people would be like, yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> that's creative. That was fun. That was interesting. That was deepening. And, but it didn't really change people's lives. I just found that, um, you know, I just started paying attention to that. And um, through that kind of process, as well as other things, I, I hit a burnout, which is not uncommon for pastors. And I ended up leaving the church completely for about seven years. 
<clears throat> didn't go to church, didn't read Bible, didn't read Christian books, didn't have Christian friends, moved. You know, it's just like this, um, this uh, pause, an, an elongated pause that I think is actually part of the journey that we're afraid mm -hmm. to uh, encourage. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I, um, oh, I forgot to mention at the very beginning, before I became a pastor, when I first got out of, um, out of seminary, I worked at an evangelical relief and development organization called World Vision. And um, I was director, associate director of, what was it, research and policy development. And the big project that I did for about a year and a half was research and write a, a kit called Let the Earth Be Glad that was sent to 50,000 evangelical churches that was basically saying, look, this isn't, it was like a polemic, you know, it's like, this isn't a liberal agenda. This isn't new age, you know, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't. And it's like, this is part of your own heritage. And so um, that was kind of my first awakening to this disconnect mm. um, that it was, had become a political issue. And we were so disconnected from the rest of the natural world. But so my, my entry into this integration was actually from the theological side, which is interesting. I mean, I always liked being outside or whatever, but mm -hmm. I wasn't like a big, I grew up in suburbs. I, you know, didn't grow up, um, you know, deeply connected with the outdoors. I wasn't a hiker or anything like that. Um, and then after that seven years, just to skip ahead, in the, during that seven years, my son, who I was pregnant with back at uh, World Vision, so 12 years later, when I'm in my seven-year uh, wandering, I guess, <laughs> um, my son watched Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. And I had encountered Al Gore and his, and his uh, message on climate change back 12 years earlier. And I showed him the, the, the video, the, the DVD. Mm -hmm. And he was just blown away. Like he was 12 years old and couldn't you know, like watch the whole thing again after the rest of us left the room, <laughs> watched all the, all the uh, you know, special features and went to school the next day, like evangelizing his friends that we got to stop global warming. <laughs> <laughs> and long story short, we ended up starting a nonprofit um, called first called Kids Versus Global Warming, and then it was called I Matter Youth, um, empowering youth um, to, that already feel empowered about, or already feel heartbroken about the climate crisis and supporting them. And so he was kind of like Greta 15 years ago. <laughs> and uh, so we, he left school, I left my work. Uh, we did this full time for about seven years. And then we got burnt out, <laughs> um, as that happens a lot too. Um, he went to college, I stuck with it for a little while. Um, and in that burnout, in that emptiness of leaving the church, now leaving the environmental movement, and just like, what even is God in the midst of this? Um, is when I started to make that connection with the natural world. And these two different parts of my life that had been kept very separate in the in the um, in the in the religious world, like you know, you can you can appreciate nature, you can have a retreat out in nature, but the real spiritual stuff happens in this building, you know, <laughs> and, and listening to sermons and praying or whatever. But and then in the in the environmental movement, you know, you can say you're part of a religious community. It's like, oh, good. How can we get that religious community on our campaign? You know, so it's it becomes a 
in both of those worlds, the integration of our spiritual reality and our spiritual lives are very disconnected from the rest of the world, the rest of the natural world. And that, so my awakening began in this um, experience, like a mystical experience uh, that, that God is not separate from the trees and the atmosphere <laughs> and the deer and the grasshoppers. And so then, by then I was back in a church, I was an associate pastor and I started preaching about it. I started researching, like, what is this? Is, and I started, is, does my love of this planet and care, concern about caring for this planet mean that I need to leave this tradition for good, you know? And so the, 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 the investment into is this necessarily separate from the message of Jesus and the message of my tr spiritual tradition? And if it is, I need to leave, you know? And I found that it wasn't. <laughs> I found that, that deeply embedded in the Judeo-Christian story and stories is a absolutely fundamental relationship with the rest of the web of interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh calls it. Um, and it's in every single spiritual leader of both testaments were called into the wilderness. And I had been spiritualizing it for my whole, you know, preaching career <laughs> and started to ask, you know, what is the actual, you know, why, why were these people called into wilderness? What, what role did the dirt and the, and the waters and the rocks play in that call into the, into the wild spaces? So um, asking those questions within the church, and then when I left the church, um, I uh, a lot of people came around me and said, that church you've been talking about that meets outside, do that. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just making this up. You can't do that. <laughs> and so we did. We're like, all right, let's just try this. And within a couple months, I started to meet other people that also kind of thought they were crazy and left the buildings and started creating spiritual practices and uh, calling it church. Um, spiritual practices to connect us with what is, you know, connect us back into that web of life that is inherently sacred. And so there's a lot of different ways to talk about it, but there's so much resistance within the Christian, you know, more conservative community to, you know, God's not a tree, that's pantheism, or, you know, there's just such weirdness about it that it took some like, all right, I'm just, I guess I'm just going to follow my heart and, uh, you know, do this crazy thing. And now there's just like thousands of people who have, who are making that connection and making and recognizing that this is a false severance that's actually really dangerous for our planet, but it's also really dangerous for our own spiritual journeys. Yeah. Um, I think what I hear you saying is, um, a lot of people in the church, when they um, they hear about encountering God in nature, it's it's almost like nature is just it's just the place that they go to to sit in, and and kind of nature may be the catalyst or the conduit to which they can encounter God. But mm -hmm. but what you're saying is God is there in the nature, in the trees, in the rocks, mm -hmm. in the birds, in the water. And it's not just that they can help you get to God, but God is really there. Yeah, and that it's the relationship between, uh -huh. you know, it's the relationship between all beings that is the presence of God. I mean, one of the questions you kind of 
talked about before was what how does how is how do you encounter God? How do you describe God? I don't even know the right verb to use. <laughs> uh, what is God to you? You know, like I used to have questions even as an evangelical. Like I know God's not a you know some white guy in the sky with a beard. I know that. <laughs> But what is God? Okay, it's some being that's somewhere mysterious and okay, I don't get it, whatever. I guess the mystery is the faith. Like, okay, but that's not satisfying, right? And and now, like I have a sense and an experience of the presence of the sacred, of the presence of God. And it, but it's just that I haven't answered any of those questions. It's just that the questions don't matter anymore. You know, it's just being in relationship with all that is matters. I love how Richard Rohr says, you know, how you regard this stone is how you regard all things. Mm -hmm. And I used to love that, but I didn't really get it. (laughs) I'm just starting to get it. Like, like how we, how we, how we regard, like I'm looking out the window at my sister's house. There's a bunch of ducks out here. And, you know, some people come by and just sort of ignore them. Some people feel like they're dirty and push them away. It just, it matters. Like how we regard anything is how we regard other people, how we regard our own family. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a radical idea. And so it's, it's undoing generations of how our culture and our religion has um, kind of, uh, how should I say that, Um, intentionally severed that relationship. I think it's because of uh, agendas of empire and colonization um i'm sure there's very many layers but i think that's (laughs) one of the root causes but but at what cost and we see it in our in our world how we've regarded you know like you said christopher um it it, you know we can go out to nature because it's a peaceful place for us to do our spiritual thing you know yeah versus like being in relationship as we're encountering these others, which requires a slowing down, a reverent approach, and a deep listening, which is at the core of what it means to be a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would you say that nature and uh, just your experiences are, I guess, is a spiritual director for you? Seeing the trees and the rocks and the ducks are a spiritual director. Absolutely. In fact, what really awakened me to see that we're, we're kind of missing something as spiritual directors by, by living this disconnect, you know, by practicing this disconnection in our spiritual direction practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of suspected that just because of what I had been um, experiencing and learning within my own spiritual journey. But it was one time I was at a... Uh, I was the spiritual director at Ghost Ranch for a program that wasn't my program. I was just the spiritual director that week. It was a labyrinth program with Lauren Artris. And I just, you know, I was just there. I met with people. They'd sign up. I could meet a few people a day. So I'd meet them once. You have one hour of spiritual direction with people. You know, and I thought, you know, what can we have? What can we do in an hour? And I thought I'd just experiment with something that I would take... I would let them, we would meet, they'd talk for about 10 minutes and whatever kind of came up for them, whatever core question was starting to bubble up, I'd kind of stop there and say, hey, you know what you're wrestling with right here, I don't really need to know all the pieces of that, but why don't you take that 
out to the land. I'm just going to sit here and hold this space for you for a half an hour. Mm -hmm. Just take that out to the land, see where you're drawn. You know, it might be down to the arroyo or that tree over there, or that river or that creek. Um, and bring that question and mm -hmm. ask ask these more than human others and see what happens. Like, I was like, oh my God, this could be crazy. We might all come back going, all right, never invite her back. <laughs> but it, it was fascinating to me. Like every single person that week came back after half an hour. And then those last 20 minutes, we got deeper than I get like in six months, at least with, mm -hmm. with a directee, you know, just meeting once a month in the normal way. I was, it was, it was remarkable. And so that's when I started to awaken to this, idea of you know intentionally bringing the more than humans back more than human others back into that companioning of uh, of the spiritual direction practice so it's both it's like yeah it's it's the same the same thing that we do as spiritual directors in in listening more deeply to those that we're um you know with is the same thing that happens as they learn how to listen more deeply to the river, to the mm. ducks, um, and, and then bring that back. Like it's, it's the kind of thing, like if God is in all things, if Christ is in all things, if that's really true, then I don't need to explain it. <laughs> I don't need to tell them all the reasons why, just, just maybe some practices about how to slow down and listen with reverence. Mm. And open up your heart and your imagination and, uh, mm -hmm. And allow that voice that we've we've come to know as the voice of the sacred that dwells from with you know that sort of rises from within us is inclusive of you know the the trees and the and the others mm -hmm. that it's also the voice of the tree some mysteriously way how like. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so how does um, someone who who is in a spiritual direction session with you um, if you send them out into nature, how do they know what to do or where to go or when to stop and pay attention? Yeah. Yeah. I think they're very gentle invitations of um, learning how to, you know, one of the goals I think of, of spiritual direction is, is helping people to really listen to that deep inner authority and to trust that, that that voice that they hear from deep within that their essence is, is connected with the sacred is something they can trust. And so it is a process of that. So it's very similar to that, you know, and so I'll give them an invitation. There's lots of practices, but you don't really have to share all of them. There's things like, you know, crossing a threshold and being really intentional about being open mm -hmm. and knowing, stopping and saying, I'm going to cross over this stone or this log and open up my imagination fully and allow myself to be drawn somewhere um, related to, you know, so say maybe somebody's talking about, you know, a core wound from their childhood and um, are feeling abandoned from God or something. And you, you give them a, um, an invitation to say, how about if you just wander, maybe it's today during the session, maybe it's this weekend and we talk about it next time we get together. Um, but you ask them to wander with intentionality, with reverence, and, you know, with an intentionality of like, I'm wrestling with my own um, feeling abandoned by God. So where is a place that sort of echoes that, that either feels very welcoming and belonging, or maybe it's a place that feels like, you know, it's been abandoned. Mm -hmm. 
And then I, the one thing I do say as far as like direction is don't second guess yourself, just trust, you know, be a little bit wary of an idea of like, oh, I'm going to go to that bridge. <laughs> as you're going to that bridge, you might be drawn to, you know, mm-hmm. a little anthill that's been up, up, heated or, you know, kicked up. Yeah. Who knows? Um, and trusting that and then sitting in, um, in a reverent relationship of just, of just observing, listening, wondering, uh, emptying your mind a bit of, mm-hmm. and then also asking questions, you know, you, and something arises almost always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes occasionally people come back and like, I, I don't know, that didn't, that did nothing for me. And then that's something to work with, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, there's no one way to do this just as there's no one way to pray or no one way to, you know, connect with God. It's, it's aligned with the other practices that we have within our, within our spiritual traditions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Um, as you were explaining that, uh, you mentioned something about, um, you know, like just in the example you gave, pay attention to some place that feels welcoming. And that just reminded me about how, I came and discovered your, your work. And, um, I, over the last couple of years, I ended up having a pretty bad, um, break with our, our church, um, and, um, was, you know, betrayed and abandoned by my own spiritual director and other priests Mm -hmm. there at the church. And so it was like, you know, we were, we were just put out, uh, and, and then like a year later, I was out just at a public park, um, at state park here in Tennessee and, and journaling and was long next to a Creek and, and in the woods and, uh, and just all the grief and the pain of that year came back. And it just, I just started crying and lots of big tears more than I've probably cried in a long time over it. And, and I think that's what you said, reminded me how welcomed I felt right there in the woods next to the Creek. Um, and then when I was processing this with my new spiritual director, who was great, um, she said, it sounded like the, you know, the trees and the birds were holding space for you mm-hmm. to grieve and not passing any judgment because I had had plenty of judgment from my previous right. spiritual director. That was a place where I found solace and love from those more than human other beings that were there out in nature uh, that I had not felt from other humans. Yeah. In a, in a while so um, and you hear that a lot from people who have experienced a tremendous trauma yeah um you know that that i feel more welcome and myself in the woods than i do with my family or something like that mm-hmm. and it's not it's not uncommon and it's not just for people in trauma it is the way life is works and we've just been so disconnected so that's why i say it's about remembering and this isn't something new. This isn't a new, you know, forest bathing thing or whatever. Like it's not some trend. It is just what it means to be alive in community, in a larger beloved community than our own, you know, our own people that look like us and beyond people mm-hmm. who are human. Um, and so it's restoring just a, an ancient reality and an ancient truth of, um, you know, and some, one of the things I like to refer to is that the word religion etymologically it's like re again and legios is like a ligament connection Mm -hmm. it's like 
humans have always had religion because we tend to forget <laughs> and we need practices and rituals and ways of um of being that that remind us to remember to remember ourselves back into the into the whole and so that's what's needed right now in a time of planetary like massive distress as well as cultural distress mm -hmm. and so like the role of spiritual directors i think is just right at the core right at the center of this you know who are already oriented to the practice of listening and the practice of reconnecting people with their own uh, capacity to connect with the sacred and what we, you know, it's like after working in the climate movement and in the church for so long and finding these, um, you know, sort of like walls and finding ourselves in this time of groaning and, and grief, mm. um, that we need spiritual leaders and spiritual directors who can help make those connections. Like a lot of people feel this climate grief and have no idea what it is. They're like mining in their therapy sessions for more stuff from their past when it's really a collective grief that they're they're um, mm. receiving and that and that the sense of belonging is larger than our family and so you know in your experience christopher which by the way i'm so sorry that, that you experienced that level of trauma it is thank you yeah um and that the that your healing begins with really that reconnection with a larger larger sense of belonging and community from those trees um, is a beautiful story and one I think that can really, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but like I, the words that went in my, my mind, I just blocked off. But I wanted to say it, it can save the world. Like it sounds mm -hmm. like so dramatic, but it's like all of that legislation and all that stuff, social, social cultural changes that need to happen, absolutely. You know, how we have to live, live in more, you know, with a smaller footprint and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But if it does, if it's not rooted in love and a sense of belonging mm -hmm. that's larger than our family or our church or something like that, if it's that's rooted in how we are connected in, in, the, in this mm -hmm. whole and the whole thing is sacred, that's the underlying worldview that actually can make those shifts that we need to make. Mm. Yeah. So good. Is there something that the um, that the church can offer the climate change movement that is lacking, and vice versa? Is there something that the climate change movement can offer to the church that's lacking there? I think so. Just being coming from both of those worlds, um, you know, what's missing is, is the together is the together piece, uh -huh. you know, like it, at mm -hmm. the root of both my church experience and my climate movement experience was, um, you know, it's like within the climate movement, we're working so hard to raise awareness, to, to, to save this planet, to save this forest, to save this river but we're not in relationship with that forest, planet and river, like like intimate relationship, like actual relationship with. Um, and so I think the church could absolutely like be that place where, um, you know, a spirituality of place <laughs> emerges. So that, and, and then within the, with the climate movement has to offer is, is sometimes I think the church 
tends to um, this is this is such a generality. I should almost not say it, but you know, we tend oh, to focus it. more on Easter Sunday than we do on you know Holy Saturday, the grief. Yeah. Um, and what the climate movement does is help us to say, you know, yes, these trees are beautiful. We love our city, you know. Um, also, if, you know, listening to the listening to those who have who have done the work to make those connections to, to, to show us that the science is real, that that our that these species are in very uh, severe danger. Yeah. That these forests are in severe danger. That our that our collective corporate greed is is destroying the planet. You know, basically, mm -hmm. that we are all dependent on. Like, hello, mm -hmm. it's it's a spiritual awakening, and uh, the scientists even know that. But they yeah. but they look to often the climate movement looks to the church to just be another um, you know platform for getting people on board on the you know to sign petitions and and mm -hmm. go to congressmen's offices. Nothing wrong with that. Please stop using styrofoam in churches. You know, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> and what's really needed is this deeper connection with the sacred in our place. Like my little wild church in Bellingham, Washington, we went to, um, we would just, we would have this like service church every month um, and go help someplace in the community. We were planting trees with the city who was organizing just a massive tree planting around this denuded part of the river that was that was um, hurting <laughs> and hundreds of people showed up from all over the community and planted trees and while I'm there I'm like wait a minute what's missing here is what the church what this little tiny community can bring which is each person they don't have to be Christian they don't have to be religious just bless that little tree as you're placing it on the ground you've just made a connection a relational connection this is not just a tree and it we planted 50 trees and I hope they grow, you know, it's like, no, you planted this tree, you blessed this tree and you, and you uh, sent uh, love to this tree, this particular tree. I'll bet you the, that you'd go back and you want to visit that tree. It's about, I call it the courtship of the particular, you know, it's like mm. entering into relationship with the particular beings in your place, the particular trees. And, you know, like that movie, the, um, the octopus teacher, was a beautiful um, illustration of that. Like he, he, he went uh, snorkeling and just just to sort of uh, process his own trauma, and he encountered this particular octopus, and it was a story of their relationship that he even called falling in love. Um, but that relationship, I think, is the presence of Christ. You know, when you invest in a relationship that turns into love and care mm. and fidelity, something transforms for both parties because that's how love works. <laughs> yeah. So you said that you don't have to necessarily be Christian or particularly religious to to attend one of these wild churches. Um, how do you think that somebody that is just completely maybe atheist might um, experience something uh that yeah. does talk about the divine and the sacred, but not in necessarily in the words of, in the name of Jesus. Right, right. And it's, it's an interesting thing because most of the wild churches, and certainly my, the ones that I've been involved in, um, are attended by, you know, a certain number of people who identify within the Christ tradition. But usually, from, I'll just talk about me because there's a broad range. <laughs> 
but more churches are like mine than, than not. Um, so usually the people that come are, you know, maybe, maybe half Christian, maybe less. And, um, and I, I'm thinking of this one, this one particular time when I was in Ojai, um, <clears throat> there was a friend of mine who was very sort of like, how would you say that? Uber atheist, <laughs> hated Christianity, you know, was not just neutral about it. It was like Christianity has destroyed the world and I get it, you know? Um, and there was also a couple who was from a fundamentalist church in town and were like sneaking uh, to, to be part of this because they felt connected to the land. They did mm. get caught and told <laughs> that they could no longer come to the wild church. But wow. Um, uh, then there was, there was shaking a, my head that just I know frustrates me. <laughs> there was a Jewish couple there. There was a couple people who sort of regularly attend other just sort of regular churches. Mm -hmm. There were some, you know, there's an Ojai, California, where there's a lot of alternative uh, religions. So there were some, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, maybe you'd call it new age people there. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, so I was like, oh, and it was about, I don't know, a dozen people. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what is this gonna go like today? And it was beautiful. It was, um, you know, when I talk about a story that happens to be within, you know, within the uh, a, a biblical story, I won't say this is from, you know, Ruth chapter five or something. I'll say there's a story in my tradition that goes like this. You know, there's a son that left his father. That, and and so then that's not um, telling people, here's the story you need to know and you should know this. And if you don't, you're wrong. It's just saying this is my tradition and inviting stories from other traditions, um, holding that space. There's a lot of poetry. There's just sort of like the common, the commonality there is the ground, you know, the place where we live. Like it's, it's our ultimate common ground is the ground that is common. Um, and so it's the way the services are structured, the way that I and many, many wild churches structure it is there's a, introductory time some people do um you know read a poem or have a story or a prayer or uh, music or drumming or whatever there's different ways in the beginning but it's basically what i call um an invitation which you might even recognize within a <laughs> within a spiritual direction relationship with some kind of invitation here's what we're gonna we're gonna t you know explore together today you know where is god when you're grieving you know whatever it is then then the majority of the time, which for me, for my services are 45 minutes to an hour. So the first part's maybe 20 minutes. Then it's 45 minutes to an hour where the invitation is to go out and solo wandering in, um, you know, in this place. And, you know, there's very simple directions. Like I said before, you know, allow yourself to be drawn someplace, settle down, have a conversation, <laughs> listen, ask questions journal, draw, whatever. A lot of people write poems and then come back. And so I think this is, this is an interesting thing too for spiritual directors is um, after they have that conversation and encounter, you know, a, a hummingbird as a preacher <laughs> or in, in some kind of uh, spiritual direction relationship, then they come back and we come back in a circle and share what we've, what we've experienced. 
And in that, then it's restoring, you know, we're, we're learning from one another. It's not just one person telling everybody else what they think, which is how I felt uncomfortable as a pastor. It's like, mm -hmm. so what? I went to seminary, but I'm, it's like I'm the only one talking here, you know, and you guys just listen to what I say and agree or not, you know. It's always uncomfortable with that. And, um, but just I think that last piece of, of um, sort of like having a dream. When you have a dream, it's like, oh, that was interesting. That was a stress dream. But if you share it with others and they ask you questions and make pat make connections with patterns, like suddenly that dream becomes something that is important to your psyche and something that you know you want to sit with and learn from, and mm -hmm. and so it's the same thing as you're sharing. You know, as I was sitting by the river, it was really I was drawn to, um, you know, how bright the river was in this one area, and then it went really deep. So right before it went deep, it was really bright. And as they're sharing this out loud, they're like, whoa, I didn't realize that that's exactly how I feel in life, that I'm at this bright edge looking at this deep darkness. And that's the threshold I'm on. So they'll, there's something about being witnessed, as we know, in spiritual direction and saying these things out loud and sharing these stories and, and trusting that, that God is working within that very simple encounter of sitting on the edge of a of a creek mm. um, that then completed as people share with one another. And then we sort of, you know, maybe have a final benediction. Mm. And, um, and so people are just sharing their experiences. So there's nothing to like really trigger each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nobody's trying to evangelize anybody. We're mm -hmm. just respecting each other's experiences. Some people mm -hmm. might use the word God. Some people might, you know, most people don't even use that word. Or, or sacred or anything like just what's happening. This is just mm. life. It is just something to be um, in awe of the presence mm. of this sacred reality that we are all interconnected is just mm. uh, something that, that everyone can't, has their own language for. I think even people that are resisting, you know, they're not really resisting, I think, for the most part, you know, what are they actually resisting? Is it... Um, is it the, the, the damage that the church has done? That often is it. Is it the hypocrisy? Is it, you know, that kind of stuff. But we're not dealing with all that. The theology, like all that doesn't really matter. What matters is living life fully in, in a state of reverence and love. You know, it sounds new agey when I'm saying it, but it's like, <laughs> isn't that what it's all about? <laughs> Let's yeah. just actually enact this in a way that uh, creating spiritual practices that legitimate what it means to be fully alive mm. and, and in relationship. Yeah, It's so funny. I don't know if it's funny, but it's just, it's interesting to me how to think it's, it's kind of common language within the Christian church to say, you know, God is, is always at work and God is working and God is in all things. It's very Ignatian in that way. And, but then and, and to have a conversation with you, you're like, oh, absolutely. Like I 100% agree. Like that's very obvious. But then I, I wonder when people actually start to hear about like the more specific things, not the people that are coming to wild church, but people right. that hear about it and then they go, whoa, like that's, that's, that's not Christian at all. Like, yeah. I wonder what that is. But then when you say, but do you not believe that God is at work and, and that God is in all things? Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, it's right. <laughs> Like the logic of that will drive you crazy, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what, what do you think it is that people are 
afraid of that, that make people say you can't go back to that church anymore. If you want to be yeah. a part of this church. I'm going to answer this in a different way than you're asking, if that's okay. Of course. I, I feel like the, the edges between that are separating us versus them is so core to our, what our, mm. we're experiencing culturally. And, and I, it's like that apocalyptic kind of idea that, that the veil's being torn, that we're seeing mm. what is and it always kept us so separate. So this polarization on, at the 30,000 foot level, at the God level, makes sense because it, because this is, this is at the core of what causes us so much mm. suffering and violence. And so I really feel like it's part of what, you know, Thomas Berry talks about the new story. A lot of people talk about the new story. I think part of this new story is that these rigid uh, lines demarcating us versus them are what need to be softened. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and so that's going to take, that's going to look different in a whole bunch of different ways. But just thinking about this, you know, what kind, are you Christian or not? What kind of Christian are you? Like all of those definitions, um, I don't know, are becoming more problematic and less important. Yeah. Again, that's just my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, isn't all this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Isn't all of life. Yeah. Victoria, in your book, you have a a chapter where you unpack the word logos and talk about... um, kind of it's what it meant, you know, originally and, and how, and I think you also tied that into this um, idea of how those um, people in the Bible were called into the wilderness um, for a reason. And, and I think you kind of really unpacked that word logos really beautifully. Could you talk a lo- little bit about that? Yeah. yeah. Um before before I talk about logos, I want to talk about um, the word wilderness. And, you know, for that, what is that reason that they are called into the wilderness, um, I think is hidden in the word wilderness in Hebrew, which is ba-midbar, which is a derivative of dabar, which means speaking. So midbar means the organ which speaks. And so God calls people, it's, it's actually the first definition, if you look it up in your lexicon, of, of mm-hmm. that word. And the second definition is wilderness. And so God calls all of his people, you know, the people of Israel were called into the wilderness, Bar Midbar. And why? Because that's the place where God speaks. That's the place where we go when we want to have that direct connection. You know, every single biblical character met God in the wilderness. Every single time Jesus went to pray was in the wilderness and not just in the wilderness it's the greek term ice which is a relational term into the wilderness Hmm. every single time except once where it says in in the wild um, every single time it's ice jesus went into the mountain into the lake into the wilderness into the garden and it's a relational term of into relationship with and so even when jesus was baptized all the other John baptized the people in the River Jordan, the word in. I learned this from Ched Myers. But Jesus was baptized into the River Jordan. You can see it if you look at the Greek translations. Jesus was baptized into relationship with the river. 
and then he was called into the wilderness into relationship and there's and there's a so it's not just like we think it's a cool idea that the sacred speaks to us in wilderness it's that it's written it's like right there it's all the way through and we just didn't have the eyes to see it and so just knowing that that's that that's the foundation and somehow we've been disconnected from this core truth um, and then this word logos um, is what was really mind-blowing to me and the thing that really was the life changer um, that once I learned this it kind of changed everything to me it made me say all right this is within my tradition it's just been buried under layers of patriarchy and control and empire um, so the word logos it was first coined by um, by a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus about 500 years before Jesus. And what it, what it me meant and means is, uh, I guess I should say meant, what it meant then was um, this idea of a conversation between. So it's like this divine essence that is in mm. relationship with everything else. Mm -hmm. So he was the first one to talk about cosmos and talk about how all things, you know, all things are connected. And so this, this was a Greek term that was, that was really well known by the first century. And so, you know, when the, when the um, writer of the Gospel of John wrote the first lines of, of, that, of that hymn at the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Logos, um, he used, or they, I don't know who wrote it, <laughs> they used this word logos that was very well known then that, that meant this conversation this relationality between and so so what john was trying to say is that that the christ that jesus is embodying this christ is embodying this logos is that thing that existed from the very beginning you know that um every thing is in relationship with every other thing oh, and um and so that's in the beginning was the Logos and the Logos mm -hmm. was with God and the Logos was God. And um, no thing, nothing was made that was not made with this Logos and nothing that exists, exists without this Logos. Like that is the, that is the message and the people of the first century understood that. Um, oh. And for the first three centuries, uh, that word Logos was translated into Latin, which was the language of the church even then. Um, it was translated into Latin with the word um, sermo, which oddly enough, we've, we've <laughs> twisted that word to mean one-way communication, but sermo means conversation, means back and forth mm -hmm. conversation, living life together. It's even sort of a very intimate, uh, an intimate word, like a, like a marriage, like this intimate con conversing back and forth thing, living life together. That's what that, mm -hmm. that's what sermo means. And so for the first, which, which was a great translation of Logos, um, and for the first three centuries, that is how it was translated. In the beginning was the conversation. Hmm. And that changed everything, doesn't it? Like, just think about oh, it. My. In the beginning was the conversation, and the conversation was with God. The conversation was God. It's, it's relationality built into the very core of what life is. And... Even the quantum physicists get that now, you know, mm -hmm. that at the center of every atom is not a bunch of nouns, but a verb of relationality. They even call it conversation. Mm -hmm. It is the core of what life, what holds life together. You know, we say love holds it all together, you know, 
but it actually does. <laughs> the biologists get it. Um, and, but something happened right around the fourth century, um, which Constantine made Christianity a, you know, a, a state religion, basically. And he brought everybody together to say, let's, let's end this argument about the noun of God. You know, they're trying to work through this Trinity idea because it's a Greek culture that's very noun based. Mm. Whereas Logos, um, even though it's a Greek idea, you know, um, but this, this Hebrew religion is very much land based, it's very much verb based. And so they're trying to translate this and there are a lot of argument about it. Um, brings everybody together so you got to have one way to figure this out there's only got to be one you know christianity here because i am the only one uh emperor he had just killed the other three emperors there were four of them and so he's like this has to be if this is gonna be my religion there's gonna be one only just one way and so they literally during that time changed the translation of logos from sermo to verbum which means one vocable it doesn't even mean a word it means like, uh, you know, a means a letter. It means a, uh, just one little vocable. And I just, uh, there's a, there's, there's a political intention there. I'm proposing mm -hmm. <laughs> and just, I don't how, disagree <laughs> <laughs> and, and see the damage that is done, you know, that one word can do that's my word, not your word. You know, mm -hmm. my word's the final word. It, it, it just, there's a political uh intention behind that translation and imagine what what difference it could have made if conversation was at the center of this religion mm -hmm. rather than my word versus your word right so now we have the creeds and the orthodoxy and you know everything is set in stone yeah <laughs> can't be changed no discussion. empire empire likes that you know yes, I mean, becoming really the religion good. of empire has a has a cost to it and, right. and the, the the religious community of jesus has paid a deep cost for that mm. right. so it takes some real intentionality to right, to really wade through that um those layers of mm. of distortion mm -hmm. I can't help but think about the some of the Christians' response to, uh, you know, just the legalization of Christianity and and what started to be built as Rome and all of that. Um, and there were Christians, the desert amas and fathers. They went into the wilderness mm -hmm. to go and be in a, a different kind of community, um, and that's kind of I what how i understand the beginnings of spiritual direction as we know it today mm, to kind of be and so i don't know if you would like to talk about that a little bit or um how you see desert spirituality and living in the wilderness and what that looks like in your wild churches mm, i love that connection that's beautiful thank you for making that maggie yeah i think um you know those those desert mothers and fathers and those early spiritual directors were, mm -hmm. have always been on the edges, right? And, mm -hmm. and they've been on the outside edge of the village <laughs> um, in order to stay connected, I think, deeply connected. It's like that idea that, mm -hmm. you know, our disconnection really does harm our spirituality. Mm -hmm. I think they intuitively knew that and they probably, you know, talked about it pretty straightforward. You can see that in, in, mm -hmm. a, lot of the, in a lot of their writings yeah. throughout the centuries. Um, and I guess that's, that's kind of what, um, you know, I call those of us 
who feel this this reconnection of the natural world with our spirituality uh, edge walkers you know that we mm. are we are walking on the edge of our traditions you know it's not just in the christian tradition it's absolutely not mm -hmm. it's happening within buddhism and within uh, uh within other traditions that and jewish uh i know of a lot of different jewish um outdoor kind of worship communities um it's something that is emerging on the edges at this time where we it's desperately needed mm -hmm. and um I just had an insight, you know, like, like seeing us as edge walkers, like it's always sort of been like that, like the mystics of every of every tradition mm -hmm. sort of connect with one another more than they do even with people within their mm -hmm. own tradition. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like that. <laughs> and, and so these are the edge walkers. So I, I do see like this, this emerging movement of reconnection through wild churches and other and other movements, there's garden mm -hmm. churches, there's, you know, wilderness Torah, there's all kinds mm -hmm. of different uh, communities of practice that are emerging on the edges. And the insight that I had just recently is that it's not just like we're walking a little, you know, edge that we're about to fall off of and sort of um, scaling the edge of this pretend, you know, like as if this was Christianity, I'm making a circle with my hands. And <laughs> in the very center are those who are you know, sort of fundamentalistically holding on to the, whatever those creeds or whatever. Mm. And then as you get on the edges, it's like, eh, I don't quite, you know, I don't quite connect with the institution, but I can't quite leave. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people on the inside edge and then there's people on the outside edge who have like left, maybe uh, right when they got out of high school or they've had a trauma like you did, you, you experienced um, Christopher but they can't quite leave. So they kind of have left, but not left. So it's like on the inside edge and the outside edge. But I feel like those of us who find ourselves on those edges, the more we can step into and really embody in a deeper, more wild way, the essence of who we are and who we've been called by, by the divine reality, by God, by Christ, to be fully who we are and step into that um, fullness and and by living that out bring more people into that that we're expanding the whole circle mm -hmm. it's not just about staying on on a razor's edge it's about the opportunity to expand the whole circle and I can see it's already mm -hmm. happening you know there's I, I'd love to count them you know I don't know that my book could have been published you know 10 years ago but now there's all kinds of books coming out. There's all kinds of books of uh, people creating spiritual practices that are rooted in nature, learning to live by seasons, you know, connecting with God through gardening, um, community gardens, you know, it's uh, listening to their land of their, where their church is to see what, how, how, how can we responsibly and um, relationally um, tend to this land and be in relationship with this land. It's happening more and more. Um, how do we belong to this land as descendants of colonizers? You know, what does that mean? Mm. How does private property get in the way um, of our sense of belonging to the land? Mm. These are a couple of topics of my next book <laughs> <laughs> uh, around what does it mean to belong to the land as a white descendant of, of, of colonizers and mm. in a in a consumeristic culture of of um, seeing the land as resource, you know, 
or yeah. entertainment or even, you know, even just appreciating its beauty as an it and out there instead of recognizing that we are part of nature. We are in deep relationship with all that is, which is sacred. Yeah. Hmm. Can you share a little bit about um, your own personal spiritual practices, maybe some that you've, you've created and what that looks like for you to be connected? I love that religion is reconnecting, you know, um, so what that looks like for you specifically, Victoria. It's, it's so interesting how I look back on sort of my evangelical days, how there were certain practices that you had to do, you know, you'd be in your Bible and you had to. Don't want to lose uh, your salvation now. <laughs> yeah. All that. <laughs> you know, so there's like these, and I, and I, man, I took it seriously then, you know, I had, I had my walk-in closet that I turned into a prayer closet, you know, <laughs> and I would, I would spend a lot of time. I mean, that, that was just so central to me. Um, and I think this is relevant because I think it's leading to here. And then, and then I, you know, I sort of left the evangelical church, but then I had kids. And when I had my son, you know, he, he, he was one of those humans that were, uh, took forever to sleep through the night and high maintenance kind of persons. And he, he would nurse like every three hours all the time. And it was just this, you know, I had to develop a new rhythm and, um, and I couldn't do all the spiritual practices that I've been taught. Like, this is how you're spiritual. Like I couldn't, I was, it was anxiety at first. It's just like, I can't pray the way I used to. I can't do all these service things I used to like, like just becoming a mom made those things made me feel like, oh my gosh, am I pulling away from God? It's like wow. such a setup. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I realized that every three hours is I would, that was my time to sort of, nurse a baby and be in this sort of reverent place of relationship with my son and God was present there. And then I realized that the monastics have these vespers and, and, you know, other prayer times every three hours, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm creating this through, you know, I, I did a painting and I called it, um, some pray with Psalms, some pray with milk, you know? <laughs> and so it was just sort of like, that was a little bit of disconnecting with, um, doing, doing the spiritual practices that, that other people told me I should do. Um, and for me now, like being out in nature, just this idea of wandering or uh, sauntering, as John Muir talked about, you know, just this reverent um, listening. And, and, it, and it usually, it takes time. So I have this little backpacking chair and usually a journal. And I'll take it out and I need, I need, I need, you know, an hour or two a day, just like I used to say, I need an hour or two of prayer a day to make it through. And it is a form of prayer, like just this reverent attentiveness to life. I mean, you, like, I love Brother Lawrence, you know, like washing the dishes was prayer, you know. And um, so that's kind of the core practice. It really is. All the other pieces are um, support that core practice. And here's the irony, and this is just a true confession <laughs> to make publicly with you, my new friends, yeah. um, <laughs> is, is as, as I started, you know, acting on this calling to create, uh, you know, a sacred container for people who have had this seed of like, I feel like I'm called to be 
part of of what is emerging of this interconnection with nature and spirituality and so i'm going to start a wild church right i'm going to you know i'm going to i know people who have been therapists that now are more like soul care guides mm-hmm. <laughs> you know just wanting to go deeper into life um and so I do a lot of, I spend probably eight to 10, sometimes, sometimes eight to 10 hours a day on Zoom talking about being outside mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than doing it, you know? So mm-hmm. I'm hitting a wall, honestly, because I haven't been, I haven't been able to recharge in nature, mm-hmm. you know? So I can feel it in the same way I could feel it even as a, as a young mom, that the ways that I had learned to connect with God were, were falling away for new ways. Um, I'm feeling it right now, just like I'm, you know, it's wonderful. I have beautiful directees and we have deep, amazing conversations and I'm doing it too much. It's like yeah. the need is great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'm entering into a very intentionally entering into a season of, of pulling back mm-hmm. of, you know, that even means like these beautiful relationships of pulling back from that. You know, I'm, I'm actually moving on April 1st. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I'm going in this housing market. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. Even rent, rentals and I'm trying to buy a house, you know, in the lower prices that just all the investors are getting for cash. And, and it's just like, all right, I'm entering into that, into that dark place. And so I think my plan is to put things in storage and just get in the car and spend mm-hmm. more time in nature, find Wi-Fi a few days a week. Mm. Um, because I need that recharge. I can feel the thinning, like I just yeah. feel n- not resourced mm. because that core practice um, is has been compromised. Mm. Yeah, I, I can understand. I hope you're able to find that. Yeah, thank that, you. That more time that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because even when you follow your call, as you probably have experienced and and it's and it's a it's a call that god has called you into the doors fly open you know the opportunities open um after you say yes to that then you have to start saying no (laughs) you know you say no to the things that are good things but just aren't central and then you even have to say no to the central things because it's too much Mm -hmm. like our culture is so muchness focused it's very countercultural to to do that path of, um, as it always has been, what's the, what's the word, the, um, that path of letting go is true yeah. even, in, even, in, even in spirituality. Yeah. Even when you're supporting others in, yeah, I'm being, I'm being unclear. You can cut off. <laughs> <laughs> I feel myself rambling. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. And um, we can, um, the way we like to end all of our uh, chats with friends is to ask this one final question, um, who or what is God to you now, Victoria? I think the, the experience of God is first of all, a verb Mm -hmm. and is, is an experience of, connection and love and conversation in relationship with um, myself, even within myself, in relationship with other people, in relationship with the birds and the river. That God is that, you know, like, like 
if we if we say that God is in all things, Christ is in all things, then Christ is in me, Christ is in you, Christ is in this tree, and the presence of Christ, when two or more are gathered, is that relationship, that gathering, that relationship together, that conversation between, is the presence of Christ, is the presence of God. And mm. so God as a who, and that might be the insight that I said earlier of, mm. you know, I don't have answers to the questions, but I think moving from, you know, the experience and the relationship, which is an act, action, it's not just words, it's not the word. <laughs> It's it's a it's a fidelity. It's a acts of love. It's um, listening and receiving and reciprocity and mutual respect. Mm -hmm. um, and as we do that, you you experience the presence of Christ. You experience that every time you have that deep relationship with any other. Uh, Victoria, this has been awesome. Um, thank you so much for your time. And um, gosh, we'll be. Uh, we'll be anxious to hear how your, your next season in the wilderness. Yeah. Thank you. Know? you. Yeah. 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 So good. Um, good to see you again, Christopher. And yeah, you too. And uh, I just wanted to tell you though, that um, starting next month, my wife and I are, are going to uh, start a wild church here in Knoxville. Oh, yay! Um, just a culmination of the longings in my heart over the last year or two. And then reading your book kind of really helped solidify some of the ideas I was having and so yeah first uh, sunday in march we're gonna oh we're congratulations gonna go. so Thank great you. i assume you've connected with the wild church network put your little i'm, I'm, I'm aware of it i haven't joined or um to get on the mm -hmm. app but um <laughs> it is it's on my radar Good and deal oh that's great thank yeah. you for sharing that with me blessings to you as you, you as you launch yeah and it's also just good just to connect with the others to yeah go you know i put it out on facebook and 70 people <laughs> said they were coming and two showed up yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, am i crazy what's wrong with me like nope that up to all of us because they all went to indoor church because that's what they think they're supposed to do. <laughs> it's too cold. It's too cold, so they got to go to where Right. Yeah. yeah. So all right. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. Yeah, thank, yeah, thank you. you.